0: Thank you, Daniel, and, and the team for leading us in worship, and indeed, the Lamb has overcome. Amen? Amen. So as we continue to go into letter of the letter to the Colossians, uh, we're going to go to this passage in uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to 15, <clears throat> that is very, uh, re- it's, it's brimming off the central theme of Colossians, which is, that Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. And the word that Paul uses to describe this truth in the Greek is "proteon," that is preeminent. That's what is translated, which means to have the first place, to surpass, uh, to be superior above, above all others. So in the context of today's sermon, Paul highlights that, one, Christ is preeminent over creation that he is the cause of everything that was created. The physical realm, all the things that we can perceive with our senses, you know, the, the, the sight of a beautiful mountain range, of a waterfall, the laughter of a, of a child, um, the, the taste of a biscuits and gravy on a Sunday morning here at, at the church, um, all the things that we can perceive with our senses, but also the spiritual realm, the things that we cannot see or touch or hear but we know that they are real and active. So angels, uh, uh, spiritual beings, demonic forces, and Christ is preeminent over his church. That is the universal church, the church in all places and throughout time. He is the head of the body where the fullness of God dwells. And now we as members of his body, all of us, are filled with God's presence in our restored relationship with the Father that he enabled for us by his sacrifice on the cross. So therefore, in light of this wonderful truth, the call that we have, uh, the call that Paul gave to the Colossians and that now we have as well, is that Christ will be preeminent in our lives. So those who have been reconciled to God must be diligent to persevere and mature in the faith um, despite of all the hardships and sufferings that we face in the world, that we may conduct our lives keeping Christ in the center of our hearts and establish in the faith of the hope in the gospel that we have received. So if you have not yet been reconciled to God, my prayer for you in this morning is that you will be captivated by the beauty of Christ's sufficient work of salvation in contrast to the ugliness of your sin and that you will come to embrace Jesus's offer of eternal life that we have in him. So please join me in prayer as we continue in this passage. Father, we know that you are, you have exalted Christ, Father, that he has risen and you have exalted him to be preeminent over all of creation, Lord. That is, the physical realm, the spiritual realm of of, of all things superior overall. Father, and that you have established him to be the head of your body, to be preeminent of of the church. Lord, and now we come before you uh, as members of your church to ask you that you will help us, that Jesus Christ will be preeminent in our hearts. Father, we know that we sometimes fail, that we struggle, that we fail to measure up to your standard of perfection, but we embrace your grace, Lord. We know that this is not in our strength, this is not in our power, but it's only through the power of Jesus Christ in us. So please open up our minds and our hearts to your teaching this morning, Lord, and help us to be captivated by the beauty of your gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the main idea of this passage, of the passage for today is that the gospel is sufficient for believers to help them walk in Christ and not be captive to false teachings that try to supplement their faith uh, with with just human tradition of practices and some sort of other things, spiritual things. So that is the main idea that the gospel of Christ is sufficient for us to walk in Christ and to not be captive by human tradition and false teachings. So as we digest this idea, there are a couple of things to consider. First, the the church um, at Colossae was facing a threat from the inside that has been traditionally known as the Colossian heresy. And you may have listened to this term before, the Colossian heresy. And scholars have tried to clarify the nature of this destructive teaching creeping from within the church, but it it is not easy to determine because Paul does not say what it is. Some people believe that um, the problem at Colossae was Gnosticism, which taught that the world was created by by a a form of inferior God and that everything that is material is evil, but only things that are spiritual are good. Other people believe that false teachings had to do with Judaism. And uh, it is because of all the Jewish references that we see in this letter to the observance of the Sabbath, to uh, circumcision, um, to the festivities and religious uh, traditions of the Jewish. But I believe that this is not the case of either or, but it is a combination of many, many things, a combination of these things. So... These teachings were impacting the life of the Colossians at their church and Paul was moved to address this, these things. Uh, they believe that if they seek the help of angels, if they worship idols, if they uh, followed other gods, that they will be protected from spiritual from evil spirits and we're going to be delivered from afflictions. So by following Uh, certain rules and practices and wearing particular garments or, or, or amulets that believers could protect themselves from the power of these demonic forces and in a sense just secure some sort of well-being for themselves. And the second thing to be mindful of is that demonic force, demonic activity is real. Do you agree with that? I believe that sometimes we as Christians tend to underestimate the influences that the demonic forces have in the world around us. And I'm not referring to thinking that everything bad that happens is because there's a demon attacking us. You know, I have uh, my uncle, he used to be a an insurance broker. Is that what you call it, an insurance broker? Yes. And he told me that a client he used to have... Um, used to be involved in a lot of car accidents. And every time she called him to report a car accident, she would say, Hi Nelson, the work, the devil is at work. I hit a truck. <laughs> so to me, that's a little bit too extreme. But, but yes, just look around you, look around you and see all the chaos and all the immorality and all the distress in our society. And I don't need to tell you what they are because it is very evident. And it is without a doubt the consequence of satanic authority and influence worldwide. Paul knew this. And he also says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, that we all once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Satan's influence in the world is real. And those who do not know Christ are following the course of corruption that he has been allowed to implement for humanity. So in this sense, the fear of the Colossians was valid for they needed protection from evil forces. But this could not come from worshiping pagan idols or from practicing uh, Jewish rituals. Ultimately, these false teachings were an attempt to remove Christ from his position of supremacy over all things. They are saying that Christ is not lower over all, that Christ is not lower over these demonic forces, that Christ is not sufficient, that Christ's power and authority is not enough, that your faith needs something else. And this is a tremendous heresy. So Grace Church Anything that we put our hope into that it is not Christ Jesus to try to placate the hurts of our suffering and to be delivered from the effects of demonic powers is idolatry. If our faith is not founded in the truth of the gospel and we're not established in Christ, is heresy. If Jesus is not preeminent in our lives, then we're not walking in him. We are captive to the lies of the enemy is still at work. And yes, Jesus defeated death and sin and Satan on the cross. And we will talk about that later in this passage. But we still struggle. In the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God, we still struggle. We suffer. We feel the pressure of the brokenness of this world and the effects of demonic influences. But Jesus Christ is king. Amen. Amen. And we are in him. No one is above Christ. No one is more powerful than Christ. And no one can add to the sufficient work of salvation that he accomplished for you and me. So, you know, typically preachers wait uh, sometime towards the end of the sermon to give the applications of that passage. But Paul is giving us the applications of his portion of scripture right at the beginning, in verses six to eight. And these applications are to walk in him, to walk in Christ, number one, walk in Christ, and number two, to not be taken captive. And then he gives us the encouragement and foundation for our faith to make sure that we would be faithful in our walk with him without wavering to the many deceits of the enemy. So it is application, encouragement, and not foundation. So in other words, it's Paul is saying, do this and this. Come on, you can do this, you got this, remember this, and this is the substance that will enable you to do this. It's kind of confusing a little, right? But but you get it. It's it's good. All right. So the first application that we receive is to walk in him. And this is a fundamental call for all of us who have received Christ. But yet, receive Christ in this passage is not in the sense of someone who has prayed a sinner's prayer or has repeated some words like we sometimes understand. But it is someone like the Colossians. People who have received the mystery of Jesus Christ and have have grasped in their hearts and in their minds the things that are true about Jesus, his identity, his mission, as Paul says in Colossians, Colossians 1. It is receive Christ in the sense of how Moses received the Torah from God at Sinai. And then the Israelites adjusted their lives according to the will of God that he had for them based on the covenant that they have received. So it is receiving Christ in the way how now we have the full picture of God's plan for salvation revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. And as we continue to grow in faith, in the grace and in the knowledge of Christ, of our Lord and Savior, we conduct our lives according to the foundation of the gospel so that we can be more like him. So to walk in him is merely a simpler way of saying that all of the things that we do, all of the things that we say, all of the things that we feel and all of the things that we think need to be impacted by the person and the work of Jesus. And Paul uses two metaphors to to convey how we should be doing this walking. It says that we are to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. So if we see here, we have an image of of walking, right? Of moving into a certain direction. But planted and founded in a foundation, a firm foundation. So it seems to be a little paradoxical, right? Uh, But it actually works. Because the progress that we make as Christians in our walks as believers, does not depend on how fast and how steady we walk in a certain direction, but on the spiritual connection that we have with the one who's making us walk in the first place. It is not how fast we walk or how long we can go, it is how Christ, in us connected to Him, is enabling us, enabling us to walk in the firm foundation of His grace. And this image reminds me of Psalm. Uh, Psalm 1, we know this this Psalm. Uh, we have a, a marked contrast of what it is to walk in the way of the wicked and walk in the way of the righteous. Every person in the world, everyone, whether they like it or not, are walking in one of these two paths, either the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. So this Psalm says that the... That the this is "A blessing is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits, but his delight and on his law he is like that yields and its leaf." And all that he does, amen. So the person who is not walking in the counsel of the wicked is by implication walking in the way of the righteous, in a way of righteousness, delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating in it day and night. It is someone who is planted in the never-ending streams of his grace, being nourished continually by the fountain of wisdom. So this word law in this passage in Psalm 1 does not necessarily mean only the Ten Commandments or the laws that we receive uh, in Leviticus uh, uh, or Numbers or Deuteronomy, but also it is every instruction, every promise, every encouragement, every prophecy, every fulfillment of prophecy, every decree that has come out of God and has been revealed to us. So with such a vast resource of sustenance, imagine how deep and strong and wide our roots will be. And imagine how beautiful and how alive your faith will be as well. So one of the things that Kayla and I miss the most about living in Venezuela, we love being here, by the way, but one of the things that we love, that we miss the most about living in Venezuela is that we have the beach so, so, so close to us. So can you believe that we live only 45 minutes away from this? (laughs) 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 We could go there all year round, guys, all year round. Praise the Lord for Galveston. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Please forgive me. You can't go back to- I can't. No. So the tree that you see in this picture, right? This is a beautiful place. This is really 45 minutes away from our house. So the tree that you see in this picture um, is called a mangrove. And this tree is very unlikely that will uh, wither and die. It remains green and alive uh, throughout time because it is continually absorbing the nutrients uh, in the soil and water that, uh, where it is planted. So an amazing aspect of these trees is that they help form a natural barrier against violent storms. So the communities that live by the coast where mangroves are, are uh, more likely to be protected from danger of storms, of uh, tsunamis, uh, weather events and floods. What, what is interesting is that the roots of these mangroves do not grow very deep into the ground. They are deep enough to stand and be strong trees, but the way their truth system works is that the roots of a mangrove interconnect with the trees, with the roots of other mangroves, fused and grafted together to form a super wide and strong barrier system against the threats around them. So Grace Church, our individual roots in Christ, Christ who is the perfect source of, self, of, of, of wisdom and of love, interconnected with each other in this essential calling of walking in him can be a powerful instrument that the lord uses to protect his church against the dangers of false teachings and the power of demonic forces imagine all of us being rooted firmly and strongly in the gospel of christ so that when the storms of life and the attacks of the enemy come we will be able to withstand them together and not because of our strength but because of the power of Christ acting in and through us. And the same thing applies to being built up in him. In First Peter 2, 4 to 6, he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion and stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the church that God is building is an amazing masterpiece of construction that holds even against the gates of hell. It is absolutely and ultimately the work of God. Yet the way that we live our lives, the way that we walk in him, has a tremendous impact on the work that he's doing in his church. Yes, the the call of walking is individual. I, I cannot walk in Christ for you, and you cannot walk in Christ for me. But as we together are obedient to the Lord, rooted and built up in him, the effects that this will have in our church, in Grace Church of Avila, will be highly significant. And this has nothing to do with not going through hardships or not going through problems uh, or or sufferings because thus, those things will still come. But we but we will be able to enjoy the fullness of God's presence, nourishing and sustaining us as He establishes us in the faith. And we'll burst in praise, thanksgiving, in joyful adoration, because this is just a natural response to a life that is walking in Christ, rooted in the gospel. Now let me ask you, how difficult? Think about this. How difficult would it have been for the Colossians that was walking in, that were walking in Christ in such a way that we have described to be taken captive by these heresies that were creeping into the church? probably going to be very difficult to be taken captive. So how difficult would it be for us to be taken captive by things that ultimately try to take the place of preeminence that Christ needs to have in our hearts? So with this in mind, we consider the second application of not to be taken captive. Paul warned the Colossians to be diligent and watchful so that they would be able to assess the seriousness of the threat that they were facing. This is verse eight. And his call to walk in Christ, establishing the teachings of the gospel that they have received from Epaphras and were now receiving from Paul in this letter, would help them to discern the truth of Christ from the philosophy of human tradition that was ultimately demonic. So their task the task that Paul was given to Colossians was to deliver it and say, is this teaching from Christ or is this teaching from men? As I said before, we don't know exactly what this philosophy that Paul mentions was. But we know that this teaching was deeply connected to Gnosticism and Jewish mysticism. So the, the term philosophy here Uh, It's not understood in the sense of of just like the Greek or Aristotle uh, philosophies in in ancient Greek. But this probably was the way how this faction of false teachers was addressing their teachings. So the Colossian Christians, remember this, the Colossian Christians, before knowing Christ, they were used to worshiping Greek and Roman idols. They were used to worshiping Greek and Roman gods that these gods control different aspects of their lives, whether harvest, battles, um, f- parties, love, fam- family, justice, wisdom, and etc. many, many other things. So they believe that if they worshiped these gods, they, if they followed certain rituals, they were going to um, appease the anger of the gods and receive a protection from evil spirits or just overall ensure a well-being for themselves. So this belief of worshiping a God to calm his wrath and receive some favor in return was essentially the basis of every pagan religion in the ancient world. You have a God, you worship him to, be, to appease the wrath and now receive protection and receive favor. Every Pagan religion believed this. So this is likely why Paul is referring to this teaching as being according to the elemental spirits of the world. So in other words, he was referring to the demonic powers that were at work under this demonic teachings. So now I highly, I highly doubt that after service today, you're going to go to Panda Express and get a fortune cookie, and it would say... Happiness is just around the corner or some other message that you want to put there. And you're going to go home and build an altar to it. You're not going to do that, right? Right? You're not going to do that. Okay. We're not going to do that. But if we are not careful, if we are not watchful, if we are not walking rooted and built up in Christ, we will be tempted to be taken captive by other things that are contrary to the gospel of Christ. Things that may appear harmless, but deep down can be used by the enemy to take the place of preeminence that Christ needs to have in our lives. And this is the problem with the Colossian heresy. The fundamental problem with the Colossian heresy was that these things were taking the place of preeminence that Christ needed to have or or must have in their lives and in their hearts. And this is our fundamental problem as well. That whatever our idols may be, and you fill in the blank here, whatever our idols may be, whatever may be the things that tempt us to fall back on the old life, that they are not according to Christ, they are of the world. And ultimately, they are demonic. So what are we to do? We have this this wonderful calling from God to walk in Christ and not be taken captive, which seems to be very much, this is too much for us. Well, it is too much. It is too much. But Paul encourages that this calling is not supposed to be lived out by us in our own strength, but in the power of being in Christ. And this next section of encouragement that we receive from Paul is just bursting with this profound and wonderful idea of us being in Christ, being in him. So this, this term, you've heard it many times, being in Christ and being in him, is a significant element in Paul's theology. And anytime you see these words in almost all of his letters or in the book of Acts, um, you need to pay close attention to what the connection that he's making. So he highlights that the awesome truth of the spiritual connection the spiritual union that we have with God and those uh, as those who have been reconciled to him is the means by which we can live life in this world, pleasing him and following his way. So being in Christ for Paul, among, among many other things, is that is the key for us to live life successfully in his walk, in the midst of all the calamities, and all the sufferings and trials in the world. So the concept in him uh, appears 15 times in all of Colossians, Colossians. 15 times throughout Colossians. And seven times it appears in these nine verses. So that has got to tell us something. These instances here highlight the significance of our union with Christ to remain faithful in our walk with him. So, Grace Church, there is no better encouragement for us, no better motivation to conduct our lives establishing the faith than remembering the blessings that being united to Christ brings. So, let us look at some of these in detail. So, verse 9 says that in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And Jesus said to Philip, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Not a fraction of the Father, not an image of the Father, but whoever has seen me, Jesus Christ, has seen the Father. And remember that the Colossians were probably facing um, false teachings of Jesus being some sort of semi-god or demi-god, and Paul makes this definite uh, declaration of the divinity of Jesus to assure believers that their Savior, Jesus Christ, is indeed God. Then verse 10 says that you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So because Jesus Christ is God and the fullness of divinity dwells in him, we are now complete because we are united to God in him. We are now complete. We have been filled we have everything that we need. We no longer have to seek the things that won't fully satisfy us, which can cause us to seek, uh, to, to displace Jesus Christ from his place of preeminence in our lives. The apostle Peter says in Peter 2, 1-3, to that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So in Jesus, we have everything. We share of his power and authority over every demonic force that is contrary to him. Think how how encouraging this must have felt for the Colossians by people that were fearing the, the impact and the power of demonic forces and now knowing that Jesus Christ, who was in them, is the head of all rule and authority. They could be confident that no power against them could prevail. So is is this encouraging to you? Knowing that the empty tanks of our souls have been filled with all the fullness of God. It is God's presence in us, in Christ. Every single ounce of our body, of our soul, of our minds and hearts, it's filled and overflows with the presence of God every blessing that we have been promised in the scriptures, all of them stems from this reality of God's real, relational and powerful presence in us. So I pray that in every circumstance that you might be living right now, whether it's a situation of suffering, situation of chaos in your life, or just, uh, just living overall daily lives, that you come to realize as you're walking in him that you are filled with the presence of God in your hearts, that he is dwelling in your heart through faith, that he's rooting and grounding you and building you up in his love. As Ephesians three eighteen to 19 says, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the, all the fullness of God. So in verse 11 he says that in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Being in Christ caused the spiritual action of our redemption that deliver us from the dominion of sin into being partakers of Christ's righteousness. We're no longer bound to obey sin and, and the bondage that we had by, by, by our, in our flesh but now we leave our sinful desires and are enabled to obey Christ and to follow Him. So, in the Old Testament, uh, this circumcision was a um, was a sign of a covenantal union between the Israelites and God in the in the covenant that they that God had made with them. But now, this union with Christ that we have is represented by the presence of his Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's not by any physical rituals, but by the presence of his Spirit in us. It is, an, it is a circumcision of our hearts at the moment of our conversion. And his Spirit enables us to conduct our lives in a way that is pleasing to him. So verse 12 says that, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So though the phrase in him is not in this verse, the concept is the same. Because we are united with Christ, the physical act of our baptism is um, an identification with Christ in his death, an identification with Christ in his resurrection. So it is dying and rising with Christ means that we have died to the power of sin and Satan, and we are resurrected to a new life of obedience to Jesus. So a few a few weeks ago, if you were here at the church, we saw our brother Luke Christofferson baptizing uh, their precious five-year-old daughter, Kingly. Remember that? Yes. And what a sweet moment we got to witness. His words as he was baptizing her daughter were, Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. And we don't need an emotional or, or just impactful illustration to understand the significance of this powerful declaration in Christ. In Christ, we have died to the dominion of sin, the dominion that sin had over us. We die to the control of demonic influence of the rulers and authorities of this world. We died to the bondage of our flesh and now we're raised to walk rooted and built up in him. We're raised to renounce everything that is contrary to Christ, every scheme of the enemy and every false teaching that hinders our communion with God. We are raised to walk in a new life. So Grace Church, walk in this new life. And this is our foundation now, this next couple of verses. Paul has given us the direct calling to walk in Christ, being established in the faith and not be taken captive by false teachings. His encouragement has been for us to consider all the benefits and the blessings that we have of our union with the Lord in whom we have the fullness of God's presence now dwelling within us. As the head of all rule and authority. So, in this last part, in essence, is the foundation on which this college, this this calling, and encouragement rests. The gospel of Christ given to the Colossians is the means by which they would understand the teachings that the teachings that they were receiving from this faction were not the gospel were in fact demonic and against Christ. So if anyone ever asks you what the gospel is, what the gospel is, you can read them Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. So let's let's practice that. Let's read it together. Can we have chapter, yes, thank you so much. Verses 13 to 15. Let's all read together from verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made a life together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them all triumphs over them in him. So if you ever if you ever feel defeated in your faith, if you ever feel insecure about your salvation, if you ever feel the guilt of sin creeping in, if you ever feel tempted to displace Jesus from the place of preeminence that he needs to have over your life, if you ever feel that the brokenness of this world is just too much to bear, remember this passage: Remember Colossians 2:13 to 15. Remember that our Savior has made us alive together with him. He has given us himself, not a fraction of his presence or a lesser version of himself, but the fullness the fullness of who God is, is in us. He fills us up completely, so we lack nothing. Remember that our trespasses, our disobedience against God, has been forgiven. The things that we did in the dark our deepest feelings and thoughts contrary to God were all recorded in our ledger. Sin after sin, transgression after transgression, building up a debt that we could never repay with a well-deserved accusation that read guilty standing against us and with an impending judgment coming upon us in despair and alone broken and sad and Christ has taken all that long list of rebellions has wiped them out completely it says for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more One by one, he canceled every record of our disobedience. He set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. See, the people who crucified Jesus, they thought that they were the ones nailing him to the cross. But in reality, it was Christ himself laying his life to ransom such poor and needy sinners like we were. Satan, who gloated in the dominion that sin had over our lives, in that bondage that he had given us, was who was holding all his demonic weapons against us with his legions of spirit and evil, evil forces, he was completely disarmed at the cross. So those those demonic forces that the Colossians feared were reduced to nothing because of the powerful work of Christ. Amen. Adam Brown has trained me well. It's, it is the word of God. It is the word of God. So Jesus' death on the cross may have been to some a shameful defeat of someone who claimed to be king Yet, it is by far the greatest victory ever recorded in history. It is so great that we will be singing about it forever in his presence. Revelation 5, when we see this description of the, pra- the, the praises that are going on in heaven, eternal praises going on in heaven, this is the, this is the theme of our adoration. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. We will sing about the triumphant lamb of God who was slain for our trespasses who took away the sins of the world, who died and rose again. We will sing completely overwhelmed by the supremacy of Christ over all things. So Grace Church, you already have the applications of this sermon. Walk in Christ, rooted and built up in him. Walk in him, so established in the faith, that you won't be taken captive to anything that is seeking to take the place of preeminence that Christ needs to have in your lives. Be encouraged in knowing that you are not alone in this walk, that Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, has filled you completely in him. He has circumcised you with his spirit. He has made you alive to a new life. Your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven and all your enemies have been defeated by the sufficient work of Christ on the cross. Therefore, the ability to walk in him does not depend on our strength. But we walk in the power of Christ in us. It is not us. It is him in us. So, Father, we pray this morning. but as we are captivated by this beautiful description of your work in our lives, that you would keep challenging us and encouraging us to walk rooted and build up in your gospel, Lord, that we'll be established in the faith. Father, knowing that the demonic forces, that, that, that Satan is still active, he's working and he's seeking to take the place that you deserve in our hearts, Lord. But Lord, you have defeated him. You triumphantly defeated him at the cross of Calvary. And now we have this beautiful gospel, Lord, this beautiful treasure in our hearts that will help us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, that honors you. So so we pray this morning as a church, that whatever the storms may be, whatever you have prepared for Grace Church, Lord, in the future, in the next weeks, the next months, the next years, Lord, that we will not cease to be rooted and built up in you. Father, that your Holy Spirit will assure in us that your presence dwells fully and completely in us, Lord. Not a version of it, not a fraction of it, but we have been filled in you. So we praise you and we thank you. And now we praise you uh, in response to just this beautiful truth that you have given us in your scripture, Lord. It is it is you, Lord. It is not us. It is only, only you in us, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. Amen.